Hey, good morning, church. Oh, come on. I said good morning, church. There we go. All right. Hey, my name is Sam Scott, and uh, I'm a volunteer with guest services here at River Ridge, which means I hold the door open for you uh, only if you come on the first Sunday of the month and the third Sunday of the month. But I'm out there. Uh, so if I've ever accidentally closed it in your face, I apologize. It was on accident. Or I mean, it was an accident. Yeah, it was not on purpose. Um, but hey, I uh, am so excited for our time together. We are uh, in week two of a three-week sermon series on evangelism, a story worth sharing. Uh, all those people shared a little bit of their story that is worth sharing because it is embedded within the grander story of Jesus that is the ultimate story worth sharing. Uh, so before we jump in, though, I want to tell you a little bit about me. Uh, back in May, a very pretty girl named Katie Patrizio made a very questionable decision to become my wife. Uh, so we got married back in May. That's right. You can clap for that. She, uh, she is still married to me, and her parents are here today, so it must be going all right. Uh, Katie, Katie is from, uh, from Richmond, Virginia. Uh, we, we actually met through Young Life, and uh, I work for Young Life. And my job is to, uh, is to work with uh, middle school, high school, uh, and college-age students, and we, we want to introduce them to who Jesus is and help them grow in their faith. Uh, so Katie is in, uh, teaches at Pinch Elementary, and, and she has an autistic classroom. She's with them all day long, uh, kindergartners to, to fifth grade, so she's much more patient than, uh, than I am. But while uh, she's there all day, uh, I get to do a lot of weird things, okay? My job looks, looks different depending on when it is. So sometimes my job might look like this. Uh, so this is my friend Nick on the left there and, and Gerald on the right. And there uh, we are smack dab in the middle of a sweaty field of high schoolers covered in, in dirt and shaving cream. Uh, so some days it looks like this. Other days it looks like this. Okay. Uh, so, so this is me. Uh, and some rainbow suspenders. I'm just trying to paint the picture for the podcast people later. I'm wearing some rainbow suspenders. My glasses are on under a leg of pantyhose. I'm getting smacked in the face with a tennis ball on someone else's head in a leg of pantyhose. You know, there's this, there's this great uh, piece of scripture in 2 Samuel where David is worshiping God in his underwear, and people are rightfully like, that's a little bit weird, you know? But he's saying, hey, I will gladly become even more undignified than this. And so I think this is the mental image that uh, David had in mind when he thought of undignified. Um, but hey, I get to do all these really fun things that lead to a lot of awesome friendships with people. And so while sometimes my job looks like this, it also looks and sounds a little bit like this. So this is uh, my friend Nick on the left and Austin on the right. And this was when we were at a, at a Young Life camp together. Uh, I've known both of these guys for a couple of years, and they are going to be seniors at, uh, at Sissonville this year. Uh, and a couple of years ago, um, about a year and a half ago now, Nick lost his dad to uh, a long and, and painful battle uh, with cancer. Um, and that really gave us a lot of time to have some great conversations. And uh, when I asked Nick about our relationship, this is what he said. He said, my relationship with Sam has made such an impact on my life. He prayed with me and my father when he had cancer, and he was by my side when I dealt with his passing. He has helped me grow in my faith and has been one of the best and truest friends since my freshman year of high school. Nick is now actually helping out at our, uh, at our Young Life office as our area high school intern. So that's, that's where he is right now. Oh, he's not actually there right now. He's sleeping. He actually stayed up all night last night hanging out with some friends and then came to the first service and then now he's probably asleep. So. Um, but when I first met Austin, he was an outspoken atheist. And here's what, here's what he said about our relationship. He said, when I met Sam, I was an atheist at the time, so I didn't pay much attention to him, which is funny. Uh, I saw him as the overly friendly guy who wanted to know everyone's name. By the end of the year, I gave in to everyone inviting me to Young Life, and what Sam said that night changed my perspective. I started believing. 
In that November, I was ready to give my life to Jesus. I'm so happy to have Sam as one of my best friends and brothers in Christ. Or take this from my friend Allison, my lifelong friend Allison. She says, Our friendship, my friendship with Sam continued over the years and throughout high school when he would pick me up for school every morning. Through coffee and lunch meetups, Sam has shown me through his actions what it means to truly live out the gospel through my own life and share with others. Our friendship has had a huge impact on my life and my personal relationship with Jesus. So Allison is now at Moorhead State University where uh, she is in charge of the Athletes in Action campus ministry there. So that's what she's doing. Uh, Or this from my friend Josh. He said, when I first met Sam, I wasn't a big fan of him, which is great. Uh, He said, "I I just thought he was weird for having a beard and hanging out with high schoolers. Little did I know Sam would have a huge influence on me. I didn't know Jesus, but I thought I did. That all changed when I started hanging around Sam. Sam pursued me because he loved me. All he was doing was pointing where life was. Sam makes me feel the love of Jesus through both, both his actions and his words. And Josh is now leading kids to Jesus at Riverside High School. So I say all of this not to just to toot my own horn or, or share all these stories of, of lives that, that God has blessed me to be a part of because it, it has never been about me. It, it will never be about me, but it has always been and always will be about Jesus in me and through me. But I say all of this to illustrate one very important point that is laid out so many times throughout the New Testament, and the point is this. It says that the gospel is most effectively shared, received, and applied through a meaningful relationship. I don't know if you take notes, uh, but there, you got a little thing when you came in, there's pins in the back of your seat. I would encourage you to take notes today and every day. You really learn a lot, and you can kind of go back and reflect on it. But, uh, but yeah, this is the point. The gospel is most effectively shared by you received by others and applied in their lives through a meaningful relationship. And so that's where we're going to make our camp for the rest of our time together. We're going to talk about practically how does God say to form those relationships? How does, how does God say that we should do that? And what are some applicable steps that we can do this week in our lives? Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the time that we have together this morning. Thank you for this place. Uh, God, I just pray that, that you would be here, that your presence would be in this room and that the words I speak would not be my words, but they would be your words, and that we would be able to draw parallels from your word into our own lives. Be with us during this time in your name. Amen. All right, so hey, last week uh, was the first week of this sermon series, and Matt talked about this point. And this is kind of the point that we need to know uh, so that we, can, that we can go forth in this. And the point is this, is that God has a heart for the lost, and so should we. God has a heart for the lost, so should we. And that word lost in the original Greek is the word apolumi, okay, apolumi. And apolumi means in the process of destruction or perishing, death is coming. Okay, and so what that means is that the death is coming to people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. You know that song we were singing, it says that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. This death, this destruction is coming if we don't have a life-giving relationship with Jesus. And so we have been entrusted, we have been entrusted with the gospel. We've been entrusted with this, with this cure to the disease, and God has said, hey, go and tell it. I have a heart for the lost, and so should you. And so that's where we're jumping in this morning, and we're, we're talking about evangelism, and, um, and I, don't, I don't know what you think of. I'm, I'm going to say the word evangelism. Okay, I just said it, and I don't know what comes to your mind. You know, there, there's a lot of things that could come to your mind. Um, for some of you, they are probably fond images, okay? Maybe of a weekend trip to your grandmother's that you would go once a month and she would sit on your bed and she would share the gospel with you. 
Or maybe you had a really good experience sharing your faith with your college roommate. But for others of you, you might have not so fond memories. You may have been burned by someone who claimed they were following Christ. They may have done something to you that left a bad taste for church and for Jesus in your mouth that kind of pushed you away from following Jesus. I know a lot of people like that. And that's the camp that I kind of find myself in when I immediately think of evangelism. You know, I grew up in church. Um, I, I, my mom and I went every week, and, uh, and it was great. We, we went all the time. I don't think I would say that I was actually following Jesus until high school, uh, but I, I knew who Jesus was. And, and so the, the church that I went to, we, they didn't really use the word evangelism. If they did, I didn't hear it. But it, they, I mean, they talked about it, but it wasn't a, the terminology that they used. And so when I first think of the word evangelism, the, the image that pops into my head immediately is my experience at my friend's vacation Bible school. So I, every summer I would go to my, with my friend to his, uh, his vacation Bible school, and uh, when you walked in the back of the church, you know those like little spinny metal racks that they have sunglasses on or, or pieces of candy or whatever, like Bob Evans? Um, those don't exist anymore, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, and, and so they were, it was over here, and on them were all these little comic books. Okay, or I thought they were comic books, and, and I later found out that they were these things called Bible tracks. Okay, and, and so I was like, oh man, this church is awesome, they have comic books, you know? And so I, I, that whole night I was so excited to leave because I wanted to go get this comic book and read about it, you know? And so, uh, so I went and I picked it up, and when I started reading it, it was, it was horrible. Like, it was this horrible story. It was these stories of like, of, of these two little kids who were in a car with their parents, and they were excited for vacation, and, uh, and they were going to the beach, everybody was laughing and giggling, and then boom, out of nowhere, everyone is killed in a car wreck, okay? And here I am crying in middle school, and I'm like, why, 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 you know? And, uh, and, and as, I, as I'm reading on, they get up to heaven, and there's Jesus, and I'm like, whew, you know, good, Jesus is here, he's going to save the day, right, okay? No. Uh, he looks at them, and he says, you're all going to hell, okay? And that's what he says. And these little demons come flying up out of the clouds and they grab the little children and they take them to hell. And it said, the same thing's gonna happen to you, reader, if you don't have uh, a relationship with Jesus. Okay, and so I'm like, ha, huh, I'm sweating, I'm, I'm scared. And so what happened to me in that moment, right, is that it, it scared me. And now no longer was I afraid of the devil, I was also afraid of Jesus. Because who, who would act like that? Why would I want to love Jesus if he acted like that? And so, so these, these things that were meant to lead people to faith in Jesus sometimes actually push us away. And it pushed me away. It led to a time in my life in middle school where I wasn't really sure if God was real or not. And if he was, I, I definitely didn't think he cared about me. Right? So sometimes we have these bad experiences. And, I, and as I was thinking that, I was like, man, there's got to be a better way than this. There's got to be a better way to share our faith and share the good news than through that little scary comic book. Because that motivated, is motivated by fear and shame, and that's not how Jesus rolls. But you know, there's another side of this too. There, there's not just these flopped, failed, verbal proclamations, but there's also these things that we don't say, right? These times where we have these relationships where we, uh, where we don't say what we could, or someone didn't say what they could have to you in a moment that you needed it. You know, I find myself in this one, too. I, I, my father passed away when I was one. It was just me and my mom. Like I said, she's great. She's here. She never misses anything that I do. Uh, and so it was, it, was always, it was always me and her, and we'd always go to church. But the, the, the guy that was, uh, that was closest to a father figure in my life was my grandfather, George. Right? And just a few years ago, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. 
Okay, and so slowly, every muscle in his body lost the ability to function. You know, he just slowly and surely. And so toward the end, I was realizing, man, I don't have much time with, with, with my grandpa left. And so, you know, my faith was something that was very important to me, and, and I wanted to talk to him about his faith, because he was this guy that was like my father, and how, I, I didn't know if I was going to spend eternity with him. You know, that kind of weighed on me. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to talk to him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say all these things. And, uh, and, and so I tried half-heartedly a couple times, right? Like, he was really smart. He was a judge for a long time. And, and, and uh, anybody read Mere Christianity? Has anyone read that by C.S. Lewis? Uh, you should if you haven't. Uh, but, but I was like, hey, you know, Bop, that's what I called him was Bop. And I was like, you know, hey, Bop, this, uh, this book is like Jesus for smart people. Like, you should check it out. You're smart. Like, have you read it? Like, what do you think about, about it? And, uh, and, and what do you think about Jesus? And he, he kind of gave me a little bit of an answer, but I was never direct with him. And, and I was like kicking myself because I was like, man, this is well into my time with Young Life. And I was like, how can I talk to middle schoolers and high schoolers about Jesus, about my faith, but I can't talk to my own grandpa about it? Like there was this wall that I put up and I don't, and I don't know why I couldn't cross it. Maybe I was afraid to offend him or step on his toes or I was afraid of the answer. I don't, I don't know. But you know what? I never, ever took, took the courage. I had the, never had the bravery to ask him before he passed away. Right? And I was kicking myself. and I was like, dang it, why didn't I do that? What? Oh, man, you know, and, and I thought about it, and I was like, you know, again, man, there's got to be a better way than this. There's got to be a better way than living in such a way uh, that I, I was just hoping that my grandpa would see Jesus and want to follow Jesus through the way I was living, but I never really put words behind it. There's got to be a better way than that, and there's got to be a better way than me just, like, not saying anything and, and him just, just existing, you know? So all of these things, I, I just think that about all of our, most of our evangelistic outreach things. You know, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way than protesting at a coal miner's funeral. There's got to be a better way than posting judgmental Facebook posts about people and things. There's got to be a better way than, than, than forcing this cheap moral behaviorism in their replacement of, of real, true, life-giving faith. In Jesus. There's got to be a better way than cheesy t-shirts and, and just hoping people will want to do it on their own. There's got to be a better way than this. And what's really cool, guys, is that, is that our God is a God that doesn't leave us on his own, on our own, I'm sorry. He doesn't leave us on our own, but he promises us his providence, okay? He promises us his providence, and he outlines this better way in scripture, and that's what we're going to talk about, is the true and better way that God has given us. But before we do that, I know there's, there's two groups of people in here. We've got the people who are following Jesus and the people who aren't. And, and I would say to those of you who are following Jesus, man, make, make this, this time today your rallying cry for what, what your, your outreach to people is going to look like. But if you're not following Jesus and you're not really sure, you've been burned by the church and you're just here because you heard this place was awesome because it is, and you're just dipping your toe back in the water, just kick your feet back and relax and just hear how much Jesus loves you and how much his people love you and how much we want you to have life. So if you have your Bible, uh, open up with me to 1 Corinthians, uh, and we're going to be in chapter 9, verse 19. Uh, you know, so Paul was kind of tasked with, um, with, with reaching the world with the gospel. He was, you know, at the very beginning of everything. And so, um, and, you know, he was, this was swirling in his head. What's the be best way that I can do this? How can I, how can I show people uh, my faith and uh, and how, how can I relay this message of the gospel? Um, so, so we're going we're gonna to look at that better way that he outlined, uh, and it's going to be on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible. Uh, but we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 19. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. 
So right there, right there, he just, he weighs it out. He's saying, this is the better way. This verse 19 is the better way. And I don't want you to, gla- like, to just glaze over this, you know, like the Krispy Kreme fountain that we all like to watch. Like, don't just let it go under and go by. Like, think about it. Let it, let it soak in. Right? Like, he's saying, he's saying, though I am free from all, I have the status as a free person. I have made myself a servant. Your, your Bible might say slave, but it, it, just, it really means more like a servant. He's made himself a servant to all, even though he doesn't have to. But the motivation is that he'll win more people if he, if he serves them. So this freedom he's talking about is that he has this, he's a free man, a Roman citizen, and back then status was everything. Right? He's basically saying he wasn't a slave. He had this status. And he's also talking about his freedom from the chains of sin and bondage because of his relationship with Jesus. So although he's saying, hey, this is who I am, this is my status, I'm going to choose to make myself a servant to those who are around me and act in a self-denying fashion so that others around me are lifted up. And that's what he's doing. You know, I don't know what that looked like for him. I like to imagine funny things happening in the Bible that it's not written. And maybe Paul, uh, well, you know, he'd go to a dinner and he'd take the last bowl of Middle Eastern stew. I don't know what you put in that, but, uh, you know, he, he, maybe he did that. Or maybe if all of his buddies were like, hey, let's go down to Samaria for the day, he'd let everybody get the, the best donkey and he'd take the hoppy three-legged one. Like, he, he, he wouldn't be, you know, a, a lesser person. He just lifted up other people's interests as more important than his own. There's this great quote from C.S. Lewis that says, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And so Paul continues here, and he goes on to say that he does this so he might win more people to Jesus. But he is well aware that that it's not him that is saving, it is God that is saving. That's the Holy Spirit's job. We don't do the saving, we just just relay the saving message. You know, we, we play a role. We play an important thing, but, but don't, don't ever put someone's, uh, someone's salvation like it's in your hands. It's not. You're telling them it is in your hands, but, but whether or not they accept is not in your hands. That's in the hands of God. So Paul goes on, and he gives us some practical examples of how, they did, how he did this in verses 20, 21, and the first part of 22. He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. All right, anybody with me? Anybody get lost in all the laws? I was like, I can't say my L's that well, and so I just feel like I say y'all, 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 y'all the whole time. It's a little bit confusing, but, it, but if you boil it down, what, it's saying, what Paul is saying here is he's talking about three main groups of people. He's talking about the Jews. He's talking about the Gentiles or the rest of the world that's not Jewish. And he's talking about the weak. So right there at verse, at verse 20, uh, Paul says that he doesn't consider himself a Christian. Or he doesn't consider himself a, a Jewish man anymore. Excuse me. He doesn't consider himself a Jew anymore. He considered himself to no longer be under the Jewish law. Which essentially he's saying that, hey, all these rites and rituals and sacrifices that I, have to use, I used to have to do were satisfied in the death and resurrection of Jesus. So, so, so they're, they're no longer necessary. Because Jesus was the promised Messiah to which all of those things pointed. So he's saying, hey, like, like yeah, that, that law, I, you know, that's, that's, not, that's not me anymore because, because Jesus satisfied all of that. But what he's saying here on the, on the grand scale is that he's, he's not under the Jewish law, but he's not a person 
outside of a law either. He says he's under the law of Christ, which isn't really a labeled thing. Like, you don't really see that. Like, we don't talk about the law of Christ. But what he's practically saying is that, that he, he's not going to do anything that leads him into sin or to pull him away from Jesus, right? So he's saying, I'm, I'm not under the Jewish law, but I'm kind of under this law of Christ. So what Paul does here, and this is the kicker for us, this, this, is, what, this is what it boils down to, is that Paul viewed his status through an accommodative lens. Write this down if you're taking notes. Paul viewed his status through an accommodative lens. So basically what that means is that if he could do something that would give him common ground with someone that might lead to that person accepting Jesus, he would do it. So he he knew who he was, but he kind of laid it down for a minute so that he could lift up the other people who were around him as long as it didn't involve sin. So let me give you an example. This is the example that I call the bacon example. Okay, so I hate that every time we talk about Jewish law, we always talk about bacon. I don't know. It's just tangible. It's more tangible than some of the other things, and we all love bacon. Okay, so the Jews didn't eat bacon. Okay, it was against their law to eat bacon. But the Gentiles, everybody else in the world, they did eat bacon, right? Because who doesn't love bacon? Bacon's bacon, okay? And so so the Jews, it was a big deal if you ate bacon. You you shouldn't do that. You You were crazy if you did that. But to the Gentiles, they're like, you know, whatever, it's, it's bacon. So let's say that Paul chose to do all of his evangelizing, all of his sharing the gospel at, at dinner parties, okay? At nowhere in the gospels does it say that, but I'm just, you know, we're rolling with it, right? So say he does, he does his evangelizing at, at dinner parties, and he has to bring a covered dish with him to each of those dinner parties. Let's say that he got invited to a Jewish dinner party. What he would not do is bring a pan of bacon, because when he got to the door, he would immediately be disqualified and be considered an untrustworthy person. He wasn't reliable. He was going against the law. He was going against what they believed. So immediately he would be discredited. And that means so would his later proclamation of the gospel. But say Paul goes to a Gentile dinner party. To this, he would bring a pan of bacon because we've already established everybody loves bacon. If Paul were to, to really hold on to that, that the, the, the old law that was inside of him and, and would refuse this bacon at this party, people would look at him and be like, man, there's, I don't know, it seems like there's a lot of strings attached to following Jesus, and, and there's really not. And so that would then, would then confuse them and would make them not really see the true life-giving energy that Jesus gives us. And so there's this third group that Paul talks about, and he's talking about the weak, who are people who are weak in their newfound Christian faith. You know, they don't really understand how to live into it yet. And there was this rumor at that time that, that Christians couldn't eat meat that was sacrificed to idols, but the reality was like uh, that, that all the vendors believed in those idols. So say you were to go down to the Capital Market, you're cooking dinner, you go to Johnny's Meat Market, you go to the Purple Onion, you, know, you go to all these places. What would happen is that all of those people believed in these pagan gods, so they would have sacrificed all their work, all their labor, everything to, to uh, these pagan gods. So then Christians wouldn't be able to eat anything, you know? Like it wouldn't be doable. And so Paul was saying, hey, like, that's, that's not really how it works. Let me show you. But, but he was being respectful of what their thoughts were. He wasn't immediately coming in with a sledgehammer and tearing down the wall. So in the middle of trying to reach all these people, Paul boils down his main point once again in verses 22 and 23. He says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might, win, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. So Paul says that he has become all things to all people so that by all possible means he might save some. And what does he say is his motivation? He says, I'm doing this for the sake of the gospel and I'm doing this for the sake of people. 
So I know what you're thinking. You're like, okay, I get it, vacant, whatever. I don't, I don't know how this applies to my life in 2018, but this is how. This is what Paul is saying. If you boil it down to one point, he says this, you have to earn the right to be heard. You have to earn the right to be heard. In the lives of the people that you care about, you have to earn the right to be heard, which basically means that they, they need to know how much you care before they can care how much you know. Does that make sense? They need to know how much you care about them and their interests and the things that they are involved in before they care how much you know about Jesus and the message that you want to bring them. So what Paul is instructing us to do here is to enter into our friends' mindsets, not discrediting their worldview or judging them for the way they live, but beginning to build a bridge of relationship that the true freedom the gospel brings can later travel across. Building that bridge of a relationship that the gospel can later travel across. But what often happens as Christians is that we spend all the time building the bridge, but we never cross it. We spend all this time building the bridge, but we never cross it. We spend all this time getting to know people or, or, uh, or having these relationships with our family members, whatever it is. We have this there, but we, we never cross it. We never do it. We never put our motivation out there. We never say anything about Jesus. So how do we do this? How do we earn the right to be heard within our relationships? How do we share the word? And that's what we're going to talk about the rest of our time together. But before we jump into that, we're doing something awesome at our church uh, right now. And we're, um, it's called the Evangelism Workshop. And in the seat back in front of you, there's a little piece of paper that looks like this. Just grab it and look at it with me. If you don't want it, you can just leave it in the seat. But just at least look at it and, you know, tickle my fancy for a minute. But um, so what we're doing is, is this is essentially like over the next three weeks, okay, uh, you can either come on a Sunday night, a Tuesday night, or a Wednesday night. It's going to start at 6.30 and go to 7.45. They're all the same each week. So if you want to come week one on Sunday, you can, and it'll be the same thing on Tuesday. Or week two, you might only be able to come on a Wednesday. Does that make sense? It's the same thing. But what we're going to do is we're going to say like, okay, hey, here's your story. Here's, here's God's story. Where do they meet? How do you wrap it up? Put a little bow on it in a way that you can present it to people in a way that makes sense and in a way that your faith sticks in their life. So take this with you when you leave tonight uh, or today and think about that. Uh, there's going to be child care provided and uh, for fifth graders and under, but everyone else who's older than that is encouraged to come because we're never, we're never too young to share our faith. But, uh, so, so think about coming to this because I know I, I could definitely use some help with that. Um, so all right, so how do we do this? That's our first point on the blanks on your line, is, or the, 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 blank, the line blanks on your paper. Uh, and so that, that's where we're going to start is how. And so I'm going to go through two passages of Scripture uh, to end our time today. And I think that the passage that we just went over, and then these next two, are just the most beautiful, uh, clear pictures of what evangelism looks like throughout the Bible. And, and so this, we're going back to the Old Testament, because this, you know, God's no new hat at this. Um, so, so we're going to go to Job. If you want to turn with me to the book of Job, we're going to chapter 2, pick it up in verse 11. So what you need to know about Job is uh, that Job was a very wealthy man. He had a lot of cattle, he had a lot of money, he had a lot of kids. I mean, that was, that was everything back then, right? And then all of a sudden, one day, he lost everything. Everything was gone, okay? He lost, he lost all of his kids, all of the cattle, everybody, everything was dead, right? And so he, he enters into this huge state of mourning. He, he falls down the floor. He, he's physically unrecognizable because of how great of a sorrow he's in. So what we're gonna focus on is his friend's reaction, and this is where you come in. So we're going to pick up in verse 11, Job chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they each came 
from his own place. Eliphaz the Timonite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and to comfort him. So what did, what did Job's friends do? They, they went to him, right? They went to him. But, but it's a little bit more than that. They, they left where they are. They left what they were doing. They left who they were. And they came to Job and they entered into his world. And they, they came in and they said, hey, I'm going to leave what's true of myself for a minute. I'm going I'm to leave what I was doing and where I am to come to you. They were entering into his world. And check out what they did next. It might not be what you, you think it would be. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes, and they sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. All right, so this is not an application point, okay? When you go to your friends, when something bad has happened, don't rip off all your clothes, okay? Don't do that. But what is cool about this is that their culture was highly symbolic, okay? So they, every time they did a little thing, it always meant something bigger. And so back in that time, your outer robe was referred to as something called a mantle, Okay, and a mantle was like a robe of state. It, it, it told people who you were. Okay, it's kind of like you know in, in our culture today. Like this is not right. You know, it's not a right thinking. But but it's like okay, like I can either have like a you know a Ford or a or a Ferrari. You know what I mean? Like I, I drive a Ford. Like I'm just saying that like you know there's like the status that that's an outward thing that everybody can see. Right? They can all see your car, and that's also like social media. Right? We put only the best things out there, not the bad things. Think about it. Um, so. So what they were doing is that this outer robe showed who they were, it showed where they were from, it showed how much money they made, it showed everything about them. And what was cool is that they, when they got to him, they ripped it. They just they ripped it off. And so in doing that, they were showing that they were removing who they were. They were ridding themselves of any air that they had about who they were, an elevated sense of self. And they, they literally physically removed themselves of what they were and physically put on the state that Job was in. He, I mean, he was wrecked. He was beyond recognition. And so they say, hey, I'm going to throw some dirt on my face. I'm going to rip. I'm going to show. I'm going I'm to enter into the physical state that you are in. And I think that sounds familiar, entering into the physical state that someone in sorrow is in. And that's what Jesus did, didn't he? In John 1.14, he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus put on clothes and he moved into the neighborhood. And that's what he did. That's what Job's friends did. And that's what God is calling us to do. In verse 13, it says, and his friends sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights and no one spoke a word to him for they saw his suffering was very great. So all they did was sat with him, was sat with him in silence. They put on his status and they simply existed with him. They made themselves like him. While losing nothing that was true of themselves, they just sat with him. And so, friends, in your relationship with people in your life, here's what God is calling, to you, calling you to do. Here's the takeaway. God is calling you to rip your mantle. God is calling you to rip your mantle. I don't know. I don't know what that looks like for you. Rip your mantle. To enter into what is true of your friends and earn the right to be heard. You know, you, always, you won't always be speaking Jesus, but you will always be showing Jesus. You know, Job's friends sat there for seven days and seven nights before Job was ready to talk. They didn't come in with a sledgehammer. They, they, they physically changed what they looked like. They, they, they ripped their mantle. You know, there have been so many times in my life where God has absolutely just 
took a shotgun to my mantle, okay? And one of them was when I was in high school, okay? This shirt that I have on right now is a Sissonville High School Indians shirt. I would never have worn this shirt in high school because I went to Herbert Hoover High School, okay? I'm seeing the Olivers and the Ragers, and they're all like, yeah, you better not wear that shirt, <laughs> right? But, but so here, I, here I've got this shirt on, Right? And so what happened? I went to Hoover. I was at the front of the student section. Sissonville was our arch rival. I was yelling all sorts of words I shouldn't have been yelling. Probably should have gotten kicked out. I was not a nice person. Okay? I hated everything about Sissonville. But when I started following Jesus, and I went to college at UC, and I wanted to share the gospel with local high school kids, you know where Jesus put me? Sissonville. Right? He put me in Sissonville. You know what's funny is that at Sissonville, the big sport was soccer. You know what I didn't like? Soccer, right? I didn't like soccer at all. It was not the cool sport at Hoover when I went there. No one played it, okay? Like, it just, it, what my friends didn't play it, at least. Like, I just, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know anything about it. I was, I was ignorant of the sport. But kids at Sissonville love soccer. So you know what I did? I put on a Sissonville shirt. I went to a soccer game. I talked to kids about soccer. I learned from them. I made them the expert on it. I learned about soccer I talked to them about soccer so that I could later talk to them about Jesus. I talked to them about soccer so that I could later talk to them about Jesus. And there wasn't a fake air about it. You know, it, it, was, the, it was just the truth that I, I cared about them. Because you see, Jesus loves me, so I love Jesus. Jesus loves kids at Sissonville, so I love kids at Sissonville. Kids at Sissonville love soccer, so I love soccer. Because I love kids at Sissonville, and I want to show them who Jesus is. So I don't know what this might look like for you. Maybe ripping your mantle uh, is kind of just like a, you know, maybe you have a guy down your hallway uh, who is a Browns fan like Derek Godwin, okay? Maybe you are, uh, you're, you're at off, your office and, uh, and you know that he's a Browns fan, you're a Steelers fan, you don't want to talk to him, okay? But first of all, you should be his friend because no one is faithful to that much of a losing team for that long. So you know, you know that he is a good, good person. So what do you do? You, you get up out of your cubicle, you walk down the hallway, you, you walk to him, you say, hey, Derek, you know, how... How are the Browns doing this year, you know? Not, not making a joke, okay? But like just taking an interest in what he's interested in so that you can share the gospel with him because they don't know how much, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Or maybe dads, got any dads in the room? Maybe you have a son, right? And uh, he, he doesn't want to play football like you did in elementary school, middle school, high school, and college. He wants to jazz dance, okay? Say he wants to take up jazz dancing. You're not going to yell at him and force him to play football, if you want to show him Jesus, take an interest in dancing. Take an interest in what he's interested in, or he is never going to take an interest in what you're interested in. Or maybe you have a friend, uh, you're in high school or college, and you have a friend who's in that crappy drama production. It's like Macbeth. They don't even have costumes. No one's going to go, right? And they know that no one's going to go, okay? But what a better way to show the gospel than for you to go, right? To go and to take time out and they're going to be up here on stage and there's going to be one of you and they're going to be like, why, is they, why are they here, right? And that's, that's how you start to build that bridge because later you can tell them why you're there and why you're doing that. So that's our first blank, how we enter their world. How we enter their world. That's the first blank in your outline, so fill that out with me. We enter their world. All right, so who? We get how, we earn the right, but with whom do we earn the right? So we're going to move on to that next blank on your paper, uh, and that's found in the book of Nehemiah. That's also in the Old Testament. If you want to flip there with me, it's going to be on the screen if, you, if you're tired of finding things. Uh, and we're going, to, we're going to look at chapter 8, 
starting in verse 4. So what you need to know about Nehemiah is that Nehemiah, uh, the book takes place at a time when the Jewish people had been exiled from their homeland. They had gone through all this effort to rebuild the city and the temple. And this is the first moment they're about to share the, the law of God for the very first time. Like, I mean, people have lived and died without hearing about God. And so, I mean, this is a, this is a big to do. This is a big deal. Nehemiah 8, verse 4. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that, he, that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Massasiah on his right hand, and a whole lot of other people on his left hand. <laughs> right? So here's what's happening here, okay? They had built this platform for Nehemiah to stand on right? Like they, they had gone through all of this effort to build this platform, and all Nehemiah had to do was step up on it and open the book of law. So in your Bible, if you're an underliner, you, you should do this. If you're not, you should be an underliner. Underline made for the purpose, or whatever the equivalent is in your, in your scripture, made for this purpose. Because see, they had gone through all this effort to build this platform for Ezra to share the, the, the word of God, right? And the same thing is true for you. God has gone through all of this effort to build a platform for you to share the gospel from. Every good thing that we have is a gift from God, right? And your, your job, your, your friends, your family, all these things is a gift from God. And those things are a platform that he's given you to share the word. All you got to do is step up on it. So what's your platform? Think about that for a minute. We're going to jump down to verse 7 and 8. We're going to skip the middle. Verse 7, also Yeshua, Benai, and more of his friends helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that people understood the reading. Go ahead and underline so that the people understood. So this brings us to our, our second application point, which is this, identify your platform. Identify your platform. And so if you take a look at the two things that we underline, somewhere in your life, there are these people that God has put you in front of to help them understand what God is saying. You know, like, like you can't come here, like, that's, that's, that's my job today, is to read the word and, and help you understand what God is saying, right? You can invite your friend to church, they can come, but, but are, are you, I mean, you need to sit there, like these guys were doing, and say, hey, man, he means like this, the Jewish law is this, you know, whatever, like fill in those blanks. If you don't know everything, that's okay. It's not your job to save him, it's God's job. Just tell him what you know, right? So identify your platform. And like I said, what might your platform be that you're supposed to share the word with these people? You know, could it be family? Are, your, are the people in your family, are there, are there people in your family that, that don't know Jesus? Could you maybe be the only Jesus that they come in contact with? Think about that. Are there people in your family that don't know Jesus? What about your, your job? Do you have a boss? Yeah. Do you have coworkers? Probably. What about the guy who comes in and like trades out the water cooler twice a month? What about him? You've got these people that God is just crossing your path with to be like Jesus to them. Could it be your neighbors? Could it be your neighbors, your neighborhood? I just moved into a new street, and I mean, like Katie and I were talking about this, like, our street is just rich soil for the gospel, and, and we might be the only ones who are going to bring it. What's your platform? Of course you have one. It was built by God for the purpose of sharing his story with other people, so use it. Step up and use it. So this brings us to our last point, which is what? Okay, we're, we're at what, and we're going 
we're going to read verses 5 and 6 here. It says, Ezra opened the book in sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Ezra identified his platform. It was there. He stepped up on it. It had been built for him. All the work was done. All he had to do was cross the bridge. The bridge was there. The platform was there. It was there. Step up. It's there in your life. Step up. Our last bullet point is share the word. What? Share the word. Put the words behind your actions. Tell people why you ripped your mantle. Give meaning to why this relationship occurred. Tell people why you put their interests above your own. Tell them the motivation because the motivation, it's not a thing, it's a person, it's Jesus. And in your motivation, in Jesus, that's where salvation is found, not in your actions. Share the word. They can see your actions, but they can't see the one who motivates you. Great scripture in Romans, it says, how are they to believe in the one of whom they have not heard? So earn the right. Enter their world. Identify your platform and share the word. Just step up. Do it. You can do it. And that's, that's what we're going to talk about next, next week. Matt is going to say, okay, we've got, we've got this earn the right. We've got the relationships. Now how do we do it? How do we share our story? How do we tell people about Jesus? So I want to end our time together today with a, uh, with a, a quick little clip of the video that uh, they showed before the sermon started. And it's just people saying like, hey, this is who brought me to Jesus. Okay, and I want you to, I want you to pay attention to that. I wouldn't be here today if God did not send Joe Hoskins to my freshman dorm room at West Virginia University. Without my college roommates, Monica, Karis, and Christy. Arnie Vaughn and Sally Doman. For my daughter, Amber. Because a high school classmate named Tom Greenhouse. And I wouldn't be here today if it were not for my mom and my brother sharing the hope of Christ with me. And I was a pretty typical high school kid, didn't have much direction, didn't know really what was going on. And then a guy named Brad Johnson walked onto my high school campus. My dad shared with me about Jesus's grace and love for me, and I'd always wanted to have the joy that my dad always had. Donna met me when I was drunk behind the stadium at a high school football game, and she didn't judge me, she just loved me and continued to pursue me until she'd really earned the right to be heard and tell me about Jesus. It is. The gospel is best shared, received, and applied through a meaningful relationship. Why are you here today? Why did you choose to wake up and to come here and be at church today? Who was it for you that showed you Jesus? Who helped you get to this point in your life? You know, for me, I'm here today because of my mom because a guy named Landon Bush, who was older, stepped in to my life. And for the first time, I had this older Christian role model who really cared about the direction that my life was going. First time that a guy had really been like, hey, here's what it looks like to be a guy and to follow Jesus. So why are you here? Who brought you here? And what I also want you to think about is this, is who do you want to be in that empty seat next to you? Who do you want to be on that video in a few years because you entered their world 
you identified your platform and you shared the word. So think about that this week. What's your platform? How, how can you do that? Come to the evangelism workshop. Think about these things. Because this is life or death, destruction, perishing, all these things is coming. And, and you've got the cure. You're holding on to the little the vial of it in your pocket. So let's, let's spread it around. I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll head out. Thank you. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for today. I uh, thank you for all of the people uh, that went before us, that had an impact on our life, that got us to where we are today. God, I pray that that would encourage us and spur us on to share the gospel with the people that you have given us to step up on our platform and to share the word. God, we thank you for this day. Help us to apply this to our lives this week, to walk away from this time changed for the better. We ask all these things in your precious son's name. Amen.